0: Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. One of the questions I've gotten through the years uh, a lot, a lot from Christians is, uh, Pastor, I, I I need more faith. I want more faith. It's been a a question that comes up actually very often. Uh, I think in our mindset we have this concept that we really don't have enough of this. And so we have to go and somehow create this faith. And I want to go and get myself some more faith. I I want us to look at that today because I really think that it's a misconception that hurts the practice of faith in the Christian life. Faith doesn't originate with your ability to create it. Faith originates as something that God actually has creatively put into your life. God actually put it there. In Romans 12, 3, there's a great scripture that says this. Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. That's a good scripture. It really says God's the originator of faith in you. God already put faith in you. It's not a question whether you have faith. The question is, what are you doing with it? It's not that you need more faith. You already have more than enough faith. You're going to see that as we read through some other scriptures. You see, faith is something that doesn't begin with us. The more that you make yourself sort of the originator of faith, the more frustrated you're going to be in living by faith because how can I get myself to believe more? How can I actually, you know, just get more faith? It's not a question of that. Your emphasis is not on getting faith, your emphasis is on practicing faith. How do I go about practicing what I have already received? Because you've already received from God the original portion of faith that he has put out for you. You've got it in you. It's not not going and finding it on the shelf somewhere, you already have it. Now we're gonna be looking at a story uh, that kind of illustrates, uh, a cool truth about this. And it's the story of Jonah. You don't usually think of Jonah as a great man of faith. In fact, we think of him as a man of huge pride and arrogance and prejudice issues. I mean, this, this guy really had some deep seated issues and he did and he did. And this is the beauty of faith. You see, is that even his own actions and even his own plans and even his own mistakes could not obliterate his faith. He couldn't rob him of that which belonged to God. He couldn't take from him that which he already had from an omnipotent, all-powerful, and ever-present, and eternal God. He had faith. It had been apportioned to him. Even his life choices, which were horrible. I, I, I hate what this guy did and how he practiced it. What he did was basically turn against God's plan. God called him and said, hey buddy, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. You know probably a bit of the story. And the city of Nineveh was, boy, it was a big city for those days, 120,000 people. It was a Gentile city, which that was strike one. Uh, it was a godless city in many ways. It was really violent, violence was huge there. And uh, it was a city where the barbarity of what was it transpiring was just absolutely crazy. And so Jonah was sent by God with the message. warn them. Give them the, here was the message. 40 days, 40 days, judgment's coming. So Jonah, though, didn't want to go. In fact, it says immediately upon the first call, God called him to do this. He turned and he ran. And so he runs down to the docks. He grabs a ship to Tarshish. uh, And where he's going is right up on the Spain coast. He's going to be going all the way down to the entrance to the, big Atlantic, and he's going as far as he can actually from the direction God wanted him to go. See, Nineveh would have been going inland, actually heading east, he heads west, and he wants to go as far as he can. Now he knows he can't run from an omnipresent God, God's everywhere, he knows that. But he's not running from God in that per se, he's running from God's assignment, from God's work. You'd think that would just absolutely destroy this man's faith. So the story goes, he gets on the ship, The ship starts out into the Mediterranean and an unusual storm comes. Uh, It was very unusual. Sailors knew that there was something completely wrong with this storm. This was a different storm than any other storm. This was a storm they recognized there's a spiritual thing going on and so as that storm hit the ship and they tried everything to tack back to land get anywhere its way to some safety and they couldn't make any headway they couldn't do anything against the storm anything they tried and the knowledge that they had to uh, deal with the seas didn't work Jonah's sleeping down in the hold. everybody gets woken up and said call on your God finally they, fi- they draw lots they find out Jonah's the guy that's kind of the source of this whole issue Jonah says I am Said, I'm acting very disobediently towards God. Um, guys, you're going to have to throw me into the sea. They try one more time to deal with the storm and not throw me into the sea. They cannot. They just can't do it. God was stopping Jonah. He was saying, No, 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 no. no. See, the Ninevites matter to me, Jonah. I'm compassionate towards them. And you are going to do this, and your arrogance and pride is not going to stop my message. So I'm going to get you to do it, even if... You have, even if I have to kind of take your arm and twist it. They throw him into the sea because that's their only option. But God had also prepared a great fish. God had prepared, maybe it was a unique creation. God created this great fish. That's how it's uh, ver- versed in, in, in the Bible. And, and the fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights. By the way, just think about Jesus. Crucifixion, Resurrection. In fact, Jesus spoke to him, he said, I'm going to experience, I'm going to actually be going to the land of the dead. That's what Jonah actually called it. He's like, I am going to be there in the grave for three days. It's an interesting thing. So Jonah ends up in this place and you'd think that he would just absolutely just kind of give up. he had already kind of given up, hadn't he? Have you ever been there Where you've just made some really bad decisions and you're even running against God, maybe. And you know you're running against God. You know it. You know every step that you're trying to take is trying to take you one step further away from God's directions, His command in your life. And you're wanting to take your own life down your own path, and yet you are a Christian. This is an interesting place to be as a Christian. Oftentimes we do this and we know this. Sometimes it's in big ways. Sometimes it's not in big ways. Sometimes it's just the little things. But we know we moved against obedience to God. And we get ourselves in some pretty bad scenarios. Even if we dig our own pits. We dig our own things just like Jonah had dug this. It's because of Jonah's choices and meeting up with God's sovereign purpose that he is placed in the, in the belly of a great fish and he is certainly confronted with a choice, is he Not. And that choice, it's an interesting thing. It comes out of him in in an interesting way. He doesn't just do a soliloquy. You know what a soliloquy is? Do you remember your English? A soliloquy is just something where you are actually doing sort of a monologue, and it's usually to yourself. You usually are doing this, what they call self-talk, right? So you're saying, you idiot, what did you do? You know, oh, how do I get out of this? And you just do all this self-talk and da-da-da-da. You're just doing a soliloquy. He doesn't do that. He prays. Here's a guy that is in disobedience, running away from God, digging his own pit, giving up on everything. See, what he looked at is if I go to Nineveh, I mean, it not, it, there's nothing in this call or journey that is going to end up good for me. I am a prophet of Israel and I'm being sent to a key gentile city i'm being sent with a message of judgment so what's going to happen i know god is compassionate he says this in the end of the book i know that god is compassionate and that they will probably repent and then god is not going to do what he says and at the end of it there will be no judgment and i said there would be oh that's kind of ugly isn't it it's not nice See, it was was about him. So he didn't put any value on his life anymore because his own definition of who he was and what he looked like and what he should look like is gone. And he became very fatalistic. But in the belly of the fish, here he is, in the worst position possible. Just for a moment, think about some of the other stories of scripture. This is worse than being a Joseph in a dungeon. I'd rather be in a dungeon than in the belly of a great fish. Uh, This is worse than Daniel in the lion's den. I'd really rather be there than in the belly of this great fish. You can come up with whatever biblical scenario you want. I'll choose that. I'll choose Job on a pile of dung, because there's a lot of Jobs to take it to match up to being in the belly of a great fish. He has dug it himself, but it is the worst duress you could possibly be in. How do you escape that particular situation? I'd rather be David going against Goliath than be in the belly of a great fish. Now, I don't know what your particular situation is right now or different circumstances that are pressuring you up or what pit you may have dug for yourself or maybe life is brought to you. Maybe it came from other things in life. But I don't know what pit it is, but it's not like this. So he cries out in the midst of the worst condition you can possibly imagine. Look at what it says in Jonah 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Didn't do a soliloquy, too many of us would have done. Oh, can you believe this is happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Why does it always happen to me? No. He prays. He said, Here's his prayer In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened. To my cry, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, saying, your full-on effect of the storm and the ocean and the depths was upon me. He's saying, I saw, I saw the mountains of the sea. I saw the depths. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I, I want to focus on that particular scripture. It, it It is picturing the most hopeless estate and it's picturing the most hopeful estate possible. All in, all in that one sentence. The most hopeless estate is to be in this particular position where you feel and look at the pit that you're in, you look at the steps that you've taken, you look at the decisions you've made, and you think it's done so badly that you are in a place where... You would say this, I have been banished from your sight. You're not even looking at me, God. You're not, you're not you, your gaze isn't upon me. You've taken me out of your view lines, Lord. You've banished me from, my, from your sight. That would be the most hopeless estate. There's no more hopeless statement than that. Even God has turned his back on me. That's how he felt. That's how he felt. I think you might know somewhat of those feelings. That there are days that you may have felt in times past where God has turned his back on you. You may have that sense of being abandoned, banished by God. But look at the next phrase. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. There's no more hope than that. No matter how bad things are, there is always the ability to look to God. And as long as man can look to God, nothing is lost. So when he says, I will look again toward your holy temple, this is an act of faith. It's an action of faith. Even in the midst of his own bad choices, the character issues, which could not be covered any longer by his prideful rules, And instead he finds himself in a very exposed situation in the deepest place that any man has ever been and no man has been since alive in the great fish's belly. You you know, when you go through these things, when you go through the times you feel that God is not there or that he's not seeing you, And you feel like, you know, you're within this kind of a situation of hopelessness. And yet there's something in you of hope. When you get these kind of different forces working, I feel so hopeless, but I still got this thing in faith that I can look towards God. I don't deserve to even be able to look towards God, but I do. That is, that is nothing for you to feel bad about. That is something for you to celebrate because it is almost like this, that it is a, a picture that you are a part of something very special. That God has given you something that cannot be broken by this world, that something exists in you that will challenge all things that come at you, every pit, every mountain, every valley, whether you create them or others create them or God creates them. See, God has put in you a portion of faith and he hasn't shortchanged you. He doesn't give you challenges in life beyond your portion. You always have enough faith. The question is not whether you have enough of it. We will look at the deeper questions as we go through. See, faith that God has given you, we must understand something about it. It does not originate with you. It's not like you can just go and say, well, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to actually create this faith. I'm going to actually there, now I have faith. No, faith Faith is rooted within the omnipotent power of God. It shares in his power. It is something omnipotent that he has put in your life. It is of the eternal. It possesses God's immortality. It, it is something that is alive forever in you. You may, you may crush and grind it. You can take it and put it through the worst of pressures. You can try and stamp it underfoot. You will have things happen in life that will fragment it. You can do all of that. You can cast it into fire and it, can, and it won't be burned. You, you, can, you can put it into great deeps just like it did in this. And it's going to rise again, literally. This is something of God in you that he's given you. It has existence in you because he exists. It's not something that you go out apart from God and get. It's something you already have from God. This faith that you have in your heart. This faith To believe and look to heaven in the worst of circumstances does not reside within the limits of your own personhood. Its roots are in heaven with God and in his very person. Imagine this. You see, you are a study of those things which seem to be absolutely opposed to one another. Hopelessness and hope. It's hard to live in that, isn't it? It's like, you just want to give in to one or the other. The tension is the war. There's a saying from a long time ago, it says, what a complex creature is man. Those who fancy that they can fully describe him do not understand him. He is a riddle and a contradiction. It's Christian man speaking about this particular condition where you have these opposing things. God didn't put you in a world of hopelessness and give you no hope. He gave you a faith that will endure anything that this world will throw at it. It is immortal. When you experience these kinds of tensions and these opposites, do not be confused and do not be discouraged by it. Instead, recognize that this is something that proves that you have a divinely inhabited spirit which will survive the days of the sun, the days of the moon, the stars. All of those will perish before what God put in you will perish. Faith. Coming from him. How beautiful, how powerful, how strong This will endure all of the tests If we have faith In that faith it's going to overcome the world It baffles Satan He he hates faith He hates faith because it takes him out of the picture He forms fiery darts for you But the shield of faith quenches every one of them Faith is the thing that depowers the enemy and it baffles him. He knows you have it. You see, if we really look at this, it's the Goliaths of the world, the mountains of the world, the valleys of the world, the pits of this world that fear your faith. He wants you fearing those things, the enemy does. So that's your faith. Is not coming to the battlefield. You have it. When I realize that I already have faith. And I don't need to originate it. That takes a load off of my shoulders. And when I know that I have enough faith. That there's nothing that can overcome it. If the faith. Is allowed to be what it is. If the faith is going to be the thing that I stand in, that I live in, that I breathe in, that I challenge the ch- the things that come at me in. That's why a man like Jonah a man that had huge personal issues could stand in faith in the middle of a great fish and look to heaven. I don't know what pit you dug for yourself. I have no idea, you know, how you have gone about all your choices with life. But here's what I do know that wherever we find ourselves, however we find ourselves, whenever we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves in life, we can look to heaven. Because in us is a faith that connects there and is from there and allows us to actually go to God with this confidence that the God that we talk to hears us. Faith is amazing. It's kind of like a cat. Have you ever done this to a cat? Have an honest moment, you ready? turn them upside down and then throw them up in the air? Who's ever done that? Whew, thank you, there's two of us. Oh no, there's a few of us. Where do they land? On, on their feet. Every time. That's your faith. <laughs> that's, your, that's what faith does. Faith, faith always lands on its feet. It gets hit, but it lands on its feet. It gets tossed, but it lands on its feet. Some of you say, but I have such weak faith. I have a faith that that is, I need more faith. No, your faith is more than strong enough. You may be living out a bunch of soliloquies. What's wrong with me? I don't deserve this. And you just speak in the words that release the enemy. Faith is incredible. If faith is in a little child, it's going to give that little child wisdom beyond its years. If that faith is in a decrepit old man, it is going to give him a strength in the middle of feebleness. If that faith is in solitude, it's going to bless a man with good company. If it is uh, uh, in the midst of adversaries and enemies, it's going to bring you good friends. Faith in weakness is going to make you strong. In poverty, it will make you rich. There are so many people in poverty around this world that are so much richer in faith. Not because they have more of it. Because they need it. And they use it. And they live it. And they breathe it. In death, faith makes life. Faith in weakness, folks. When you are in, in weakness, it, it, it's going to end up bringing to you the kind of strengths that you need and where you are today it really doesn't really matter what matters is are you going to use the faith that you've been given are you going to apply a tool that God has given you it's one of something that has been birthed in heaven from God himself into you in a portion more than ever needed that you will ever need that you can actually put put your feet in plant them and you can walk through no matter what you hit anything that's Coming your way. Whether it's a winding road or a straight road or whether you're going uphill or down through the valleys or whether you're going through fire or you're going to go through uh, the, the, the seas or floods, it doesn't matter. As long as you are walking in faith in every given circumstance, as long as you are not living out just your own soliloquy in life, but you are actually turning that into prayers and looking to heaven, even from depths of being in the most hopeless of situations in the belly of a fish, with a track record and an attitude that would stink to high heaven. The Bible tells us that there is no weapon that is formed against us which will prosper. We are told that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In this particular story of Jonah, we find a man that is very weak in character and in nature, and we cannot just point fingers, can we? Because we understand that road too. But the enemy wants to use your weakness in these areas to keep you from applying faith. And I say, never more have you needed to apply faith than now. Do not use your own weakness as an excuse not to look to heaven. That is the time you need to look to heaven the most. Let me skip to another scripture here. In first John 5, 1, it says this. And we're going to read a few verses there. But where does it originate? You've already got it. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that? Because if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you have exercised your faith, your faith is active. And your faith is now the thing that you want to live out of to face each and every challenge, even the great ones that you create for yourselves. The apostles, I'm going to go to Luke 17, 5 now. The apostles had this issue, this question. They asked a question that I get asked many times too. It was, increase our faith. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Well, that's a real interesting request. There we go again. He's saying that they're asking, we need more faith. Jesus replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is a really tiny seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. What does Jesus do? I mean, he goes to this picture, he draws a picture. And he says, actually, faith just this big. He's saying it's not the size of your faith. It's not the size of the seed. You take the smallest of seeds that you can lay your eyes on and just make that faith. And I'm telling you, it's more than enough to make this happen. He's saying it's not about increasing how much faith you got. It's about increasing how you use your faith. Putting that faith into application. Taking steps of faith. In another scripture, very similar to this, in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus replied to the similar question. Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. So what's he saying? yeah okay let's say you have so little faith do you know that it's still bigger than this mustard seed and if you have just this much faith uh, you can say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you what is he, what is he doing again here he's saying you, you don't understand faith He's saying, faith is not something that originates with you. You don't become an expert in faith or that somehow you look at each other and say, well, I'm greater than you. We were warned against that in the first scripture we read today. You don't do the comparison model because it doesn't matter what seed God gave you. You have faith in you. It originated with you. All of us have faith. It's what are we doing with that faith? He's telling us, look, if you actually took the seed and put that seed to work. We dig ourselves pits. We have people around us that dig pits. We fall into pits. All kinds of things come our way. And every challenge that comes your way, you can either do your soliloquy for each one and do your own monologue in life or you can actually look to heaven even if you're in the worst of conditions when the situation's bad and your heart, you know, is nowhere it should be but you're smart enough to use faith and look towards heaven. You have now made every challenge in your life a God thing. Something that you and God are going to come together on. Now just because you start putting your faith into action does not turn God into a waiter who comes to your table and receives your order of the day. No, we are the servants. And we partner up with what God is doing in this world. And God is doing some pretty fantastic things in this world. He's working in human hearts that you would never think you would never work in. He's doing his work in people all around us. He's already ahead of you in the pits that he sees coming. And he wants you to lift your eyes to heaven in the midst of where you are. You say it's hopeless. This is such a messy situation. I can't do anything about it. I've made such bad choices. Or others have hurt me so desperately. Or I'm in such a place that I just don't have anything left in strength or energy. God, I'm feeling just like heaven has abandoned me. You've banished me from your sight but then that seed kicks in but I looked to your temple in heaven Wow that moment in Jonah's experience Just that simple little moment in time changed the whole trajectory of the outcome of this great fish excursion. All of a sudden, God's plan is now going to be reestablished. And we read, and I'll read it for you, in Jonah 3 verse 1. That says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what does it say? A second time. That's good news. A second time. A second time. What does that mean? It means that no matter where you're at, God is always willing to pick up with you. He's always willing to restore you to path, to purpose, to plan. He's always wanting to kick back in what he's always wanted when you're willing to say, I'm done with running off to Tarsus. I'm done with trying to go to Spain as far as I can from your assignment. I'm tired of setting the direction from my own feet. God, I right now surrender. I look to heaven. I'm in the worst of circumstances. Yes, I dug my own pit. You've been gracious enough to build a great fish for me that swallowed me up, preserving me for three days here. And God... I'll go. You know the funny thing about Jonah is that even after this, this guy really struggled with this whole deal. His obedience wasn't even just full hearted, it was, I'm looking to heaven, I know why I'm here, and I'm going to do the thing that I need to do. I will obey. And he did it. What was the outcome? Well, for Jonah, we really don't know fully, but he had a big pout with God, anger sessions. But for the people of Nineveh, they were spared. Do you know that God always does work through, can we say, broken vessels? Even where we have done and been and said and built and dug and any which way to kind of put him on the sideline, as you come out of this current challenge that has overtaken the whole world, and as that starts changing, and as it will, and it is, you're going to have an opportunity. There's an opportunity right now in this moment. There's an opportunity for what God has prepared in the heart of this world. Because he has. In the hearts of believers, there's been some opportunity created in you by what you have gone through. You've had different things challenged in your life. It might be attitudinal. It might be positional. It might have to do with what you trust. I don't know. What I do know is that there's going to be these windows of opportunity. And I pray that you will look to heaven and not live a soliloquy not create your own monologue on your own journey because no matter where you are how deep in the vast ocean you may be how you might be looking up at the mountains in the sea from the bottom of the sea it doesn't matter even whether you think you are full-hearted or not in this it is the action that matters look to heaven and the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Interesting. What God has planned for you, he will work continuously for you to partner with him to do. And your key component in doing that is faith, not a perfect life. You're going to make decisions that are not good You're going to sometimes run out those decisions in very extreme ways. There's going to be times you're going to feel because of the hurtful things and lost things in life that you have been banished from God's sight. You're going to have all kinds of pits. You're going to have all kinds of rivers to ford, all kinds of mountains to climb, and all kinds of valleys to go through. You are going to have these challenges. You are going to have the Goliaths. You are going to have these things. They're going to come at you. But the key for you to always recognize, no matter how fault-filled you might be, You can always look to heaven. And from heaven, He's already put in you what He needs from you. He gave you what He needs from you. Faith that when you take it and even in its most simplest form, use it, God comes to you. God acts. So let me finish with this. You see, it is the Goliath of this world. It is the mountains of this world, the valleys of this world. It is all of these deep challenges the floods, the deserts, it's, it's the losses, the hurt, all of those things in this world. They fear your faith. And your faith causes you to partner and trust or fear God more than the enemies or the pits or the things that you are experiencing right now. That's why you can go through things with God so differently than if you want to just create monologues God will hear your faith. So what is faith then? It is a great gift of God. It's omnipotent. It's rooted in his omnipotence. It's rooted in his, uh, literally in his omnipresence. It's, It's everywhere. It is eternal. It can be ground. You can try and grind it up. Life will try to just, crush you at seed of faith so there's nothing there it will try to do all of that but it you cannot it cannot destroy faith that faith will always be there and that's why when we stand before god one day it's not going to be oh god you didn't give me enough faith a person that didn't receive christ will not be able to stand before god and say you didn't give me the faith No, he did. You didn't give him your faith. Because that's what we do. We don't say, God, give me more faith. I need more faith. I need more faith. Increase my faith. No, we give him our faith. I believe, I trust. Let's stand together. So no matter where you and I are at here today, no matter what challenges we are confronted with, you already have in you what you need. The question is not whether you have faith in that regard. The question is rather really, does faith have you? Are you giving God your faith? Or are you just giving him monologues? That's a good question. Fathers, we bow our heads. We just thank you that you have given us what we need. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, we can be in the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a great fish, our heads literally covered in seaweed. We can be in the worst of conditions, the most hopeless situation where we even feel that, Lord, we have been banished from your sight. But we have not. We can look to heaven. We can give you our faith in the worst of circumstances and say, I got nothing to bring in here, God. I got no big energy. I got no big power or strength. I've only got my faith. I give you my faith. I'm gonna trust you. Change our prayers to simple things of giving God our faith. Help us, oh God, releasing our faith. Help us to see the simplicity of that we don't have to originate it. Father, we just pray as we close this service and we say, God, all around us are kinds of challenges. I pray, oh God, that be release of faith by your spirit in many hearts in this room and online. That Lord are saying, oh my, I think I just got free. I've got what I need. I'm going to use it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780 539 zero five seven two or email mail at people's dot com